Hey, TPC family, man, I am so glad to be here with you tonight. You know, I've been having the opportunity to share with you guys from home over the last uh, couple weeks. Well, you can see we're actually in the sanctuary right now because tonight I needed to use my trusty easel. So if, if you've ever had the opportunity to see me preach or, or teach uh, and use the, the easel with the flip chart, well, that's what I'm going to do tonight. I needed that flip chart. So we are in the sanctuary, but we're still kind of, you know, the, the at-home version. So I'm really glad you've had the opportunity to join us tonight. I'm looking forward to tonight's message. Actually, I'm really looking forward to tonight's message. One of the things is just really, I'm just really passionate about when it comes to identity, you know, because that's, that's what we're in. We're in a, an identity series. And identity is at the core of discipleship. You know, last week we talked about the importance of understanding why identity is important. And tonight we're going to talk about how the gospel transforms our identity. So in that context, all of it is a part of the discipleship process. So before we get into tonight's message, uh, we're going to open in prayer, and then we're going to talk about the gospel in a much larger way. You know, a lot of times we tend to limit the gospel, uh, you know, just to a heaven or hell issue, and we'll talk more about that. But tonight, you're going to learn how big the gospel is and how impactful the gospel is, not just tomorrow as far as your future destination, but today in regards to your current identity. So let's open in prayer and we'll get started. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just thank you. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to, to share the truth of your word, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray for each and every person that is watching tonight, Lord, whether it's tonight or, or tomorrow or some other time, anytime they watch, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, a deep understanding of who they are in you and who you are in them, Lord, in discovering their identity that has been given to them in the gospel, Lord, and I thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get started tonight in talking about identity. You know, again, last week I talked about the fact that uh, identity is, is, is a core aspect of who we are. And understanding why identity is important. And we started last week with the story of the seven sons of Siva. Now, if you remember that story, or if you remember from last week, Paul and the other apostles were, were going out and they were just traveling all across the different, different, um, towns and cities. And of course, this is after the resurrection and, uh, their, their ministry to, as we say here at Turning Point Church, heal, save, and deliver. And, and this was going on all over the place. And Paul would go out and he would encounter people who had demons or they were demon possessed and he would cast out the demons in Jesus name. Well, the Jewish uh, itinerant exorcists would see this and they'd see the result because, you know, when Paul cast these demons out in Jesus name, they would come out. They would respond uh, just the way they did to Jesus. Well, that the Jewish itinerant uh, exorcists would do this and try and uh, cast out the demons the way Paul did, but they would they would do it differently because they couldn't say like Paul 
uh, could say, I cast you out in Jesus' name in the sense of I am in Jesus and Jesus is in me. So what they would say is, we cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. It's really interesting how they phrase that because, you know, a lot of, a lot of Christians today, and there's a lot, I don't want to put a specific number on it, but there's a lot of Christians today who are relying on a Jesus whom their preacher preaches about or who, uh, you know, like uh, another preacher or teacher teaches about or a family member believes in. And they're trying to live out somebody else's faith. Now, I'm not questioning their salvation. That's not my point. My point is they're trying to walk in an identity that belongs to somebody else. Just like these Jewish itinerant um, uh, exorcists. So in, in Acts, along with the itinerant exorcists, we see the seven sons of Siva. And they do the same thing. They go out and they try and exercise demons saying, you know, we cast you out by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. It's not our Jesus or it's not the Jesus I have an intimate relationship with. It's, it's the one he's preaching about. Well, in their particular case, something interesting happens. Let me, let me read this to you real quick as we, we sort of recap last week. Starting in verse 15. So they do that. They go to this guy who's possessed and say, we cast you out by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And this is what happens in verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. Okay, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. And then the evil spirit says, Paul I know. Well, that's pretty interesting. The evil spirit puts Paul in the same category in the sense of recognizing the authority Paul had as being in Jesus, which of course is right because Paul is in Jesus and Jesus is in Paul in the sense he has that dynamic, intimate relationship with Jesus. But then they go on, the demon goes on and says to the seven sons, but who are you? And we talked last week that that question is a question of identity. And they couldn't answer that question because when, you know, when they were asked that question, the whole premise of what they're doing is based on Paul's relationship with Jesus, not their own. So what happens? Well, here's what happens. Starting at verse 16, it says, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled. They just fled away. They fled out of the house naked and wounded. And you know, there's a lot of Christians, as I was saying earlier, who are living out of faith or, or living out um, a relationship that they see other people having with Jesus. And there's a lot of Christians today who, like these seven sons, are walking around spiritually naked and wounded. Because when they're confronted with the circumstances of life, when they're confronted with challenges and, and the different uh, problems of life that come up, and those problems and circumstances and life in general ask them, who are you? They can't answer it. So those circumstances, those problems, you know what they do? They overpower them. They prevail against them so that they 
flee spiritually naked and wounded. Now, you, you, you may have experienced that in your life. You, you may have uh, been in, in a circumstance or situation in your life where, you know, you had a circumstance occur, you, you had some sort of a question in your mind, and you felt overpowered. Uh, you, you felt defeated. And you felt as if you're spiritually naked and wounded. Well, that really comes down to an identity issue. That's really what it comes down to. And last week I went a little bit more in depth on why identity is so important. Uh, and I'm not going to recap all of that tonight, but I want to start just kind of talking about where identity is. Because once we, we understand the location of identity, then we can understand how the gospel transforms our identity. And in that context, that's where we begin to understand what discipleship is all about. You know, I think sometimes when it comes to discipleship, we get so caught up in uh, the information aspect of discipleship. We, we want to know more theology. We want to know more uh, uh, Bible information. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. That has its place. But information is not where I, our identity lies. Our identity lies in a relationship. And it's with the, in the relationship with Jesus that we find our identity. And we have to understand where that relationship is, is grounded within ourselves. So in order to understand that, that's where I need my easel. I need to begin to illustrate some of this stuff. So let's take a look at what happens when we have an encounter with God in the gospel. So to understand how this works, first of all, we need to understand our makeup. And I illustrate that with three different circles. Now, these three circles illustrate the three different parts of, of who we are, okay? We have three parts. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And, and that's what these three parts are here, okay? Now, the body's easy to understand. Here's the body, okay? This, this everybody understands, okay? But this is not me. I'm on the inside. My, my soul, okay, is... Who I am, it's my personality, it's my mind, my will, and my emotions. And then on the very core of me is my spirit. So here's the spirit. Here's the soul. And here's the body. Okay? So those are the three aspects. Now again, with the soul, you have the mind, the will, and the emotions. Now, we understand the mind. The mind is an aspect of what we think and our thought process. Emotions, of course, we, we understand as our feelings. Now, the will, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about willpower. Well, this is the seat or the center of our desire. That's what the will is. It's where our desires lie. So we all have desires for things. You know, earlier I had a desire for a Chick-fil-A sandwich, so I went to Chick-fil-A. That's That's part of that desire aspect. But all three of these things together are part of the soul. And it's, it's important to understand the aspect of how these work together when it comes to identity. Because identity is 
the foundation of our Christian life. That's why the gospel is so important. So just let's remember these three things. In fact, I'm just going to write it on top of here. So you understand this is a parallel, if you will, or overlays on top of these three things. So the body, let's start on the outside. The body is easy to understand. That's, that's our behavior. Okay, that's easy to understand. Everybody understands behavior. And actually, that's what most of us tend to focus on is behavior, right? We, we want our behavior to change. But the thing is, behavior is a function or sort of the fruit, if you will, of character. Well, character is at the soul level. And character is sort of the makeup of your mind, your will, and your emotions. All three mixed together, put together, are your character. And character is the foundation of behavior. If you want to change behavior, you have to change character. But what if you realize, you know, there's some character flaws, if you will, that I have. You know, when I went through Celebrate Recovery, and one of the things we taught in Celebrate Recovery is that our behavior is driven by character flaws. Well, if I've got character flaws and I want to change behavior, that means I need to see a change or a transformation in my character. Well, where does that come from? Well, that comes from here. That's in the middle. That's where your identity That's where your identity resides, is right there in the middle. It's in your spirit. Now, when we're born, we're all born with a sin nature. You know, the Bible says that we're all born in sin. Well, that is at the core. It's, it's in the spirit. We're born what's called spiritually dead. And that sin nature infects, if you will, our character. And that's where character flaws come from. And then that that character that is infected, if you will, by sin leads to the behavior that we all want to get rid of, right? And this is what we all want to change. We want to see, you know, something change in our lives. But in order for this to change, this has to change. In order for this to change, this has to change. It's an inside-out transformation, not an outside-in transformation. And we really have to catch this because most Christians view transformation from the outside. Now, when I mean outside here, what I'm talking about is circumstances. It's a little small there, but that that reads circumstances, okay? It means it's everything outside that you do or do not have control over, okay? And this is what we tend to focus on. If our circumstances would just change, then my behavior will change. And if my behavior changes, then my character changes, then my identity changes. We want an external transformation, but that's not how Christianity works. If we're looking for God to change our circumstances in order to change our identity, we're looking in the wrong direction. Because God wants to change our identity in order to change our character, in order to change our behavior in order to change our circumstances. You see, as Christians, God has called us to be the influencer of our circumstances, not to be influenced by our circumstances. You know, when I was a police officer, uh, 
one of the, one of my responsibilities was to answer 911 calls. You know, people call 911. Well, people don't call 911 because things are going well. You know, somebody's having a having a backyard barbecue. Everybody's having a good time. You know, they're cooking hamburgers and the kids are playing. Somebody doesn't just all of a sudden say, "Hey, man, we're having a great time." Somebody call 911. That doesn't happen. What happens is something goes off the rails and it gets out of control, and the circumstances are too big for the people to handle. They don't know what to do. So that's when they call 911. So when I show up, my responsibility as a police officer is to come into that circumstance and bring order out of chaos, if you will, to bring peace or or structure into a chaotic situation. As Christians, the Lord wants to transform us in order to bring order out of chaos. He wants us to be able to go into a circumstance and influence the circumstance rather than the circumstance influencing us. So if I went to that house who called 911 and everything's out of control and I get there and I am I just, you know, I, I just lose control and I allow the circumstance to influence me, well, that doesn't do any good at all, right? Because they called me to bring order out of chaos. Well, God wants to create in us the ability to do what he does, which is to bring order out of chaos. And the only way that happens is through the transformation of our identity, character, and behavior. So what I want to talk about specifically tonight is right here. Okay, It's the identity part. Because the gospel has to first transform our identity in order for our character and behavior to be transformed. It's an inside job, if you will. It has to be from the inside out. Because if it's not from the inside out, then it doesn't happen. Because circumstances are not going to change in a way that can change us. So let's look at that. I'll be right back here in a minute. But I want to go into a a verse that Paul wrote that specifically addresses this aspect of transformation. So if you have your Bibles, turn turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 12. Now, you're going to be familiar with this. uh, And if you're not, that's okay. Uh, We'll read it here in a minute. It's Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about the transformation process. Specifically, it's just one verse. It's verse 2. So if, if you have your Bibles there, go to Romans 12, 2, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Paul says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so here Paul is, is telling us not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, a minute ago I was talking about People or Christians wanting God to change their circumstances. Well, that's what the world wants. The world focuses on the external, not the internal. And Paul here tells us, don't be conformed to the world. Don't have a worldview that is the same as the world's worldview. A Christian worldview is a a worldview that focuses on internal transformation first. But a worldly worldview focuses on an external transformation. 
Now, the word that Paul uses in, in Romans 12 too, uh, that we, tra- that we um, translate into the word transform there, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word in Greek is, is uh, metaneo. Okay? Now, that word, I'm sorry, it's metamorpho. Metaneo is repent, which we need to do anyways. <laughs> but metamorpho is the Greek word where we get our word metamorphosis, okay? Now, metamorphosis is something we're familiar with, especially when it comes to um, butterflies, right? If you think of a butterfly, a butterfly starts as a caterpillar and then eventually hangs from a tree and a cocoon builds around the, the caterpillar and over a period of time, a metamorphosis takes place and that caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly. And the, the end of the transformation process results in a, a creature, if you will, that is radically different than the one that went into the process. That's what Christian transformation is all about. We go in as, as coming out of a life of sin. We're, we're born in sin. We have that sin nature. But God enters us into this, this metamorphosis, this transformation process that on the end of it, when we come out of it, we're different than when we went in. It's really important to understand this. And that metamorphosis, that transformation process takes time. Um, you know, it's not something that occurs overnight. Now, I, I know you've heard the stories or the testimonies of people who share their testimonies and say, you know, when I came to know the Lord, uh, he radically delivered me from alcohol, drugs, um, anger, whatever. And, and there are people that God radically transforms, radically delivers. But what they don't tell you, and they're not intentionally trying to hide this, but they only focus on the area in their testimony uh, where God did radically transform them. But what they don't tell you is all the other stuff that God has not radically transformed them from immediately. They are going through the process of transformation for all these other things. I've never met a person who came to know the Lord and instantly was completely radically transformed from everything. They don't exist. That, that's because that's just not how it works. Uh, again, you may have somebody who's radically transformed from something like drugs or alcohol, whatever, but there's other things that they're still being transformed from and going through that metamorphosis process, including their character. And we all go through that. We all have to do that. So let's take a look at the gospel in regards to identity. So I'm going to go back to the, the flip chart here. And let's look at how the gospel radically transforms our identity. Because once we understand how it works here, Then we can understand how it begins to transform here. Now, next week, that's specifically what I'm going to go into. I'm going to go into how God transforms our character. But before we understand that, we have to first understand how God transforms our identity in the gospel. And once we understand these two, this just automatically follows. 
I know in, in the Christian life, we tend to focus on behavior. You know, I want to change this, or I want to stop this, or I want to start this, so on and so forth. In order for that to happen, these two have to fall in place first. So over these next two weeks, tonight and next week, what you're going to find out is how God does it here, and then how God does it here. And when we understand that and line ourselves up, align ourselves with that process, this is going to fall right into place. I guarantee it. So let's talk about the gospel. Now, I know with the gospel, as I said uh, at the beginning, when we talk about the gospel, we tend to talk about the aspect of the gospel being only for going to heaven one day. Well, it's much bigger than that. The gospel goes way beyond just heaven. Now, of course, heaven and hell are involved. But let me look at these three circles again in the context of the gospel. Let me draw these real quick. And they're the same, body, soul, and spirit, okay? So we've got the body up here, the soul, and then the spirit, okay? And the soul being the mind, the will, and the emotions. And again, these, this is how you think, this is how you feel, and this is your desires, your desire level, okay? Now, as I mentioned at the very beginning here of, of drawing these circles, that when we're born, we're born with this sin nature, Okay, And there's nothing we can do about it. If you're born on earth, you're born with a sin nature. And that is the, the first step in understanding our need for Jesus. Because this sin nature infects our soul. It infects the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. Uh, it, it, it creates these character flaws. So I'm going to write character here again. And this is identity. I'll just put a bit of an I down there for identity. Okay. When we're born, we're born with a sin nature that tells us that we're not good enough. That we're not worthy. And that lie, which at that time is true because as a non-Christian, there's nothing good within us. Uh, you know, Paul tells us this. There is, there's no good thing within me. Well, that infects how we think, how we feel, and how we act. Now, here's what the gospel does. And this is why the gospel is so important, because there's nothing I can do about that sin. I don't have power over sin. I don't have the ability to change my identity. But God does. This, this is what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. And this is why we need the, his, his mercy and grace in the gospel. Because I can't transform myself from this sin. But in the gospel, through Jesus paying the penalty and the price to transform me through dying on the cross and then overcoming sin, hell, death, and the grave through his resurrection, he now has the ability to transform my identity in the gospel. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, theologians call it the great exchange. When I say yes to Jesus, you know, Paul tells us in Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, 
You shall be saved. We shall be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Well, it means that I have been transformed. Paul tells us later in Corinthians that uh, he who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we say yes to Jesus, what Jesus does is he takes that sin core out and he replaces it with righteousness. So I'm going to just put the word right. He makes us right. He makes us righteous. So for the very first time in our lives, we are whole and complete and righteous in God's sight. We are radically transformed in our spirit. Our spirit has been completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. The Bible says that we are the temples or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in. He he brings our spirit alive. Peter says we are partakers of the divine nature. And through that power, we become fully righteous in his sight. Now, here's the thing. That is now our new identity. We are right and righteous in God's sight. There's nothing else we need to do. It's not about our behavior changing. Okay, sometimes when we talk about the gospel or or being right in God's sight, we inadvertently talk about doing the right thing. We can't do the right thing until we become right in our identity. Again, it's not an outside in, it's an inside out. So our identity is being transformed by the gospel and has become fully righteous in his sight. We talked about that metamorpho a minute ago, that metamorphosis. Again, in in that same chapter in Corinthians, Paul says, if any man or woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. Well, what is that new creation? It's a metamorphosis in our spirit where we have a brand new identity. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to prove it. We just have to receive it in Jesus' name. So when you say yes to Jesus, yes, you get to go to heaven one day, but today you get a brand new identity. You become right in his sight. We have to understand this part. Because if I don't understand that I have a fully transformed identity, my default action or my default uh, perspective is going to be trying to change my behavior in order to change my identity. And that's unfortunately where most Christians live. That's the perspective they have, is they have an identity that's based on their behavior. We can't do that. Because we'll never be perfect. Now, we are going to see a transformation in behavior, but it'll never be to the point where we're perfect. So we cannot allow our behavior to dictate our identity. Because what happens is, if I don't believe and, and fully adopt the gospel identity, I will allow circumstances, remember these things out here, I will allow circumstances to become a commentary on my worth. And when that happens, circumstances will always, at some point or another, tell us, you're not good enough. And that is a lie. 
If you are in Christ Jesus, you've been made good enough. And there is no circumstance in the world that can change that. And it doesn't matter whether or not your behavior is what caused the circumstance. It doesn't matter. What matters is you are righteous in his sight. And the other thing that, that happens when we don't fully adopt the gospel identity is we allow circumstances or our behavior to become a commentary on God's love for us. You know, if God really loved me or the enemy whispers in our ear, you know, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be doing all this stuff. He would have delivered you from all that. Or all this stuff wouldn't be happening to you if God really loved you. That is a lie of circumstances and the enemy. We have to get to the point where our identity is grounded in the truth that God's love for me and you was completely settled on the cross. That is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for you, was Jesus died for you on the cross, rose again, so you could be made righteous. When we get to that point, there is no circumstance in life There is no mistake or behavior that can change the fact that I know I am right in his sight. Now, that doesn't mean we don't confess our sins. That's not what I'm saying. But what it does mean is it does not have a commentary on my worth or his love for me. It is so important to understand that. Once we get to that point and we adopt that gospel identity of who I am in him and who he is in us, that then begins to infect in a good way or begins to transform our character. And I'll go into more details of how the character side works, but I want to take uh, one step in that direction of how we get the gospel beyond the spirit. Because we have to get this identity into the character realm. Because this is where we believe it, right? This is where we say, I believe I'm righteous in his sight. My feelings line up with this. And if they don't line up with this, this overrides my feelings. And then my desires line up with this. And if they don't, my identity overrides my desires. Same thing with my thoughts. If I, you know, I begin thinking that, you know, I really am, I'm not worthy. Or, you know, if, if God loved me, this wouldn't be happening. We can't help having those thoughts sometimes. But when we adopt the gospel identity, this now becomes the, the, the overriding truth over the lies that we sometimes hear or believe. Once we're to that point, that's when we are in a position for God to transform our character, but we have to get to that point. So I want to talk about real quick how this is going to happen and how important it is for each of us to intentionally allow this process to happen because it's not by accident. It has to be intentional. If it's not intentional, it's not going to happen in the way it's intended. So what I want to do is focus on the spirit and the soul just for a few minutes. So I'm just going to draw those two circles, okay? I'll make it a little bigger. Here's the spirit. Here's the soul. 
then out here is the body, okay? Oops, spirit. And identity. Righteous. I'm just going to write right. So we've been made righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our identity. Okay, our soul, our mind, will, emotions, our character. Okay? All right. Our identity is made right, whole, and complete. All right? Now, how does this eventually move to here? To where it changes... The way we think, the way we feel, and our desires. And that's the key. That's what needs to happen. Because even though our spirit is fully righteous, our soul is still dealing with the old thought patterns, the old feeling patterns, and the old desires that came from that sinful identity we used to have. This is why as a Christian, we can still sin because we're believing an old lie. We're feeling the old patterns or those old desires have more influence on us than our new identity. So how does that change? Well, it has to begin with understanding who we are in Christ at the soul level, because this is already done. I mean, this is a done deal. How does that happen? Well, that's where we get into the Bible. Okay? The Bible is so important because, let me pull this up here real quick. Here it is. Okay? It's the Word of God. One of the things we talk about here at Turning Point Church is the importance of being in the Word every day. And that's not just some religious rule that we, we talk about and, you know, try and make people do. There's a very specific reason, and it's a vital aspect of the transformation process. Our identity has been made righteous in the gospel. But in order for our mind to be changed, our emotions to be changed, and our desires to be changed, we need to get this from here to here. You know, Paul says, again, I'll go back to Romans 12 too, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that renewing is not just a matter of changing what you think. It's a matter of changing how you think. There's a huge difference. I know a lot of people who know in their mind a lot of truth that exists in the Word of God, but the way they think has not been changed from their old sin nature. Just because you have a lot of information about the Word doesn't mean you're renewing your mind. Now, I'm not, obviously, I'm not against information. You know, we have a Bible college here, and we teach theology and doctrine. Those things are great. But the number one goal of the Bible is not to inform you, it's to transform you. You have to be transformed first. And here's how this works, okay? When you get into the Bible every day, it's like spiritual medicine. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, if uh, the Word of God is living and active, It's spiritually alive, so to speak. It's living and active. 
It's like spiritual medicine. You know, if, if I had pneumonia, which is a physical sickness in my lungs, and, you know, I, I can't get rid of pneumonia on my own. So I go to the doctor. The doctor gives me a prescription. I come home. I get this little pill bottle with, with these antibiotics in there. Well, I open the pill bottle, and I, I take these antibiotics. I've got this little antibiotic pill that is chemically alive, so to speak. Well, I ingest that pill, and that pill does in me what I cannot do in myself, and it brings physical healing to my lungs. Well, sin resides in our soul level, and it's spiritual sickness, not physical sickness. So unfortunately, I can't give you a pill tonight to get rid of your spiritual sickness. If I could, I'd be a multi-bazillionaire, and that's not how it works. But I don't need to give you a pill. Because I've got something that's more powerful than any pill on earth. It's the Word of God. We don't need something that's chemically alive to overcome this spiritual sickness. We need something that is spiritually alive. And that's exactly what the Word of God is. And that's exactly what Hebrews 4.12 says. The Word of God is living and active. It's spiritually alive. So when you read the Bible, you are literally taking spiritual medicine. And the number one place that it's going is into your spirit. Now, a lot of times we want to focus on our mind, you know, what our mind is picking up. But the most important aspect is getting it into our spirit. And every time we get into the word, we're feeding our spirit, not just feeding our mind. That next part of that Hebrews 4.12 verse says that the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, okay? It divides. Why does it divide? Here's what goes on in that division. It divides between the truth, which is what's in your spirit, the righteousness, the true gospel identity, and any lie that you believe in your soul. It divides between the two. And that's the rest of that verse where it says, the word of God is a revealer or a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the physical heart. It's talking about your character, basically. The core, who you are. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, speaks the mouth. Now, obviously, again, he's not talking about the physical heart. He's talking about your character, the core of who you are. Out of that is what speaks the mouth. But uh, when Hebrews 4.12 talks about the, the aspect of the Word of God being a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart, it's saying it reveals the thoughts and intents of your character. And what that means is, as it divides between the truth and a lie, it reveals the lies that you believe, or the lies of desire, or the lies of emotion, and compares them with the truth. And now, you have the opportunity to choose which one you're going to believe. Now, I'll go into this a little bit more in depth next week. But this is where a lot of Christians get tripped up. Because... As the Word of God gets in your spirit and it begins this division and this revelation of lie, 
people begin to see or, or recognize the lies that they believe, feel, or the lie of desire in them. And when they begin to see that, if they're not trusting in the gospel identity, those things become a commentary on their worth. And they think, wow, what a loser I am. Why am I thinking all this stuff or feeling all this stuff? Or why do I have these sinful desires? And again, I'll go more into that next week. But this is why we have to be walking in the gospel identity. Because this part is a vital aspect of the discipleship process. God has to reveal those things. It's like a spiritual x-ray. So if you go to the doctor and the doctor does an x-ray and you know, they take those x-rays, they put them up on the lighted wall and they start circling stuff or pointing things out to you. Well, if you've got a doctor that puts the x-ray up on the wall and says, Hey, you've got this mark here or this, this mark here is on your lung and it looks kind of weird. And there's something there on your liver. And if your doctor turns to you and says, you got all this stuff in you, boy, are you a loser? What's wrong with you? If you've got a doctor who tells you that, you need a new doctor. Because the purpose of a doctor showing you those things or revealing those things to you is not to condemn you for it. It's to bring healing. That's exactly what the great physician wants to do in your life. He wants to reveal those things that are in your character, those character flaws that are grounded in lies that you believe, feelings that are based on lies, and desires that are based on lies. He wants to reveal those things in a spiritual x-ray, not to condemn you over it, but to heal you of it. And the only way the Lord can do those things is if we're believing the gospel identity. If we're to a point where we are not allowing those things to have a commentary on my identity or on my worth, God can reveal those things and walk you through a process of healing. But if I'm not walking in a place where my gospel identity is the primary identity and God starts revealing these things and they become commentary and I believe that, you know, this is just telling me I'm just a loser, it stunts our Christian growth. And that's why there's a lot of Christians who've been Christians for many, many calendar years, if you will, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however many years. But in reality, in spiritual growth, they're really only two or three years old. Because God began this process, but they never truly adopted an understanding of the gospel identity that they already have that is in them, and it stunted their spiritual growth. And this is one of the reasons a lot of people stop reading the Bible, is because the Bible is a revealer, and it starts revealing stuff, and we don't like it. The only way we can walk through that discipleship process to its fullness is if we adopt the gospel identity and believe the fact that we have been given the identity that makes us whole and complete and worthy and righteous. And no matter what God reveals, it has no commentary on that. When we're at that point, we are free to walk into the discipleship process. 
And we have to walk into that discipleship process because if we don't, we'll never walk into our kingdom destiny. You know, one of the things we talk about here at Turning Point Church is that we're all created on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is the greatest experience any of us will ever have in our lives. You know, there's so many people walking around trying to find themselves, if you will. Uh, well, you're, you yourself are not out there, okay? The real you is right in here. And the only way you find yourself is not looking outside, is but allowing God to look inside. If you want to walk into your kingdom purpose, you first have to adopt the kingdom gospel identity. Because the gospel identity is the only identity that will allow God to transform your character. And that transformed character will transform your behavior, which will naturally walk you into your kingdom purpose. That's how it works. And that's why it is so, so important to understand the gospel identity. And it's so important to understand that the gospel, listen, I'm just going to reemphasize this this point, and, and I really want you to catch this. The gospel is more than just heaven. And I know we talk about that all the time. And, I, and again, obviously heaven and hell are involved. That, that's a given. But we cannot limit the gospel to just going to heaven one day. The gospel is so much bigger than just going to heaven one day. And it's so much bigger than us just being forgiven. You know, I've seen bumper stickers uh, on back of cars where it says, you know, uh, Christians are just, you know, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Or I'm a sinner saved by grace. Now those statements are true, but it's bigger than that. The gospel is so much bigger than that. And we have to understand this, that in the gospel is the fullness of the life that God intended for you to live. Let me illustrate this uh, for you as we, we, we come to a close. I want to kind of share a story that I heard many, many years ago that really illustrates this point of how important it is to walk into the fullness of the gospel. There was this guy back in the 1800s who lived in England and he wanted to come to the United States. He was poor. You know, he, he could barely pay his own bills. Well, back then, of course, the only way to come to, come to the States was on a cruise ship. So he sold everything he had, saved up all his money, and used all that money to buy a ticket on a cruise ship. He had no money left. So the day comes, he goes to the cruise ship, walks up the gangway, and hands his ticket to, to one of the stewards, and they let him on the ship. He goes, finds his room. It's a really small room because, you know, he, he, he could only afford just the, the, the least amount of ticket, uh, you know, the smallest ticket amount and the smallest room, the smallest cabin, just the bare bones. So he gets on the ship. He's just so glad that uh, he's just rejoicing. I get to go to the United States. It costs me everything, but I get to go. Cruise ship leaves and they start sailing across the Atlantic. Well, over time he starts, he starts getting hungry. 
So he starts looking, you know, throughout the ship and he sees these huge banquet halls with these ginormous buffets, food everywhere. But he had spent all his money on the ticket, so he knew he couldn't afford to pay for the food. So he got to the point where he was so hungry, what he would do is at night, late, late at night, after most people had gone to bed, those people who had ordered room service earlier in the evening had placed their trays outside their doors in the hallway, and there was always leftovers on those trays. So at night, late at night, when everybody was asleep or, or in the rooms, he'd just go up and down the hallway and just grab the leftovers, you know, a half-eaten roll or a half a chicken that was eaten or a sandwich that was left over, maybe some French fries or whatever. And he would do this every night. And so finally, the night before, they were to dock in the United States. Here it is. This is, you know, the night before the big, the big transition that he's going to be able to step on U.S. soil. He's going up and down the hallway and, and he finds this one tray. He grabs a half-eaten roll and he goes to eat it. And immediately around the corner, walks one of the stewards and he, you know, the guy just freezes because nobody had caught him. Nobody had seen anything. And, and he's terrified now. And he, he immediately puts the rolls down and, and he just profusely apologizes to the steward said, I'm so sorry. You know, the steward looks at him and says, what are you doing? Why are you doing? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just, I'm so hungry. And I spent all my money on the ticket just to get on the ship. And I couldn't afford the buffets and all the great banquet halls. I just, I just wanted to eat something. I won't do it again. I'm so sorry. And the steward just kind of steps back and this look of pity comes over his face and he looks at the man and says, didn't you know that the price of the food was in your ticket? So here's this guy. He spends the entire cruise acting like a pauper, eating the leftovers when the banquet hall was his all along. All that food was his for the asking, and he didn't even know it. And, and as I said at the very beginning, that's the way a lot of Christians live. We live as spiritual paupers. You know, we look at people like Pastor Jeff or Tony Evans or, or, or other Christians, and we say, man, they get to live the abundant Christian life. They have this great gospel identity. They have this great purpose, but not me. I just get to go to heaven one day. And I'm just going to be lucky when I walk into heaven. But the abundant life is just not for me. Folks, that is a lie. And if you believe that lie and have believed that lie in your life, I want to tell you right now, you need to let that go right now. Tonight, let go of the lie that you are a spiritual pauper. The abundant Christian life, the banquet hall of the gospel is yours for the taking tonight. It is included in your ticket. There's nothing that is held back. You are a co-heir with Christ. 
all the riches of the glory of the gospel of the kingdom are yours. Jesus came to give you not the pauper's life, but the abundant life. It is yours today, right now, for the taking. If you'll believe and adopt the gospel identity. You know, if tonight you're also watching and, and, you know, you realize, man, I would love that identity. I would love to be able to, to experience the abundant life that, that God has promised for me. Well, just, just as I said before, it's, it's as simple as asking Jesus to give it to you. Uh, as I said before, the, the gospel is just the, truth that Jesus has died for you. He has paid that sin debt that you owed. He rose from the dead, overcame sin, hell, death, and the grave for you. The commentary of God's love for you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if tonight you've never received that free gift, you've never asked Jesus All you have to do is exactly what Paul says just right now is just confess, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to save me tonight. And I believe in my heart, I believe the gospel that you died, rose from the dead to overcome sin, hell, death, and the grave. That's all you got to do. Just say, Jesus, I receive it right now in Jesus' name. And if you've done that, guess what is yours right now? Not just the destination of heaven, which is absolutely true, but what is yours right now is the fullness of the gospel identity, the abundant Christian life, and a life that can be transformed to walk into your God-given purpose. So if you have prayed that for the very first time tonight, I encourage you, Give us a call here at Turning Point Church. You'll you'll get that number here in a few minutes as we close. We also have prayer counselors that you can can connect with. You'll learn how to do that here in a few minutes. Or go find a Christian friend and say, Hey, I have adopted the gospel identity through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I hope you've done that. And for the rest of us, I hope tonight you recognize the fullness of the gospel and the identity you have in Christ. And next week, we're going to talk about how that identity leads to character transformation so that you can experience the behavior transformation which walks you to, into your kingdom destiny. So let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for each and every person tonight. Lord, whom you have revealed the truth to, the truth of their identity in you, the truth of the gospel identity, and those to whom tonight, Lord, they have received for the very first time the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have crossed over into that gospel identity. They've received Jesus. I thank you for it. Lord, I pray that as they walk with you, Lord, Lord, they get into your word And Lord, they allow you to transform them from faith to faith and from glory to glory. And I thank you for doing it, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Uh, it was great being with you again. Next week, we'll talk about how God transforms our character now that we're walking in the gospel identity. So I look forward to seeing you on Sunday and look forward to talking to you next week as we conclude the identity series. God bless you all.